Hello, welcome to the Slow Goods Podcast, where we love to talk quality and design, but most of all, we love to hear the inspiring stories of the masters of these spaces. Join me, your host, Logan Ratcliffe, as we talk about Maine, adventure, business, and we explore with these creators the different aspects of quality and design and, and everything around them together. And we are here today with Jess Davis. Thank you so much for coming, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Founder of Maine Fly Company. And Jeff, I first saw you, I think, on, um, you had a little, a thing came out on WCSH6 right here locally in Maine about your story. And I was like, no way, somebody is making fly rods in Maine. I love fly fishing. And uh, so I was like an instant fan. (laughs) But anyway, what else uh, can you tell us, um, for those who don't know you, what you do and maybe just some some cool publications you've been in or something, what stands out most to you? (sighs) You know, it, it's becoming a, a more and more loaded question as we go, right? I mean, <laughs> in the beginning, what do I do? Uh, anything I can do to stay out of corporate America and 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 feel good and mm-hmm. calm at home. And and since then, the company's morphed into so many things. Mm-hmm. You know, at our very core, you know, we're a small batch fly rod company. Mm. Uh, we build fly rods um, that are as unique as the anglers that buy them. They're inspired by our trips and waterways and places we visit. And, you know, with more than 5,000 waterways here in Maine, we're no soon at a loss of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's the very core of what we do. You know, it was okay. it was a buck to mass production. It was looking at anglers, male, female, of all ages, nationally. And and as a, as a new angler myself, you know, that we... We all have these unique recipes and flies and ways of presenting and waters and fish we're after, but yet we're swinging these mass-produced rods, and the math just didn't add up to me. Mm. And so, you know, in an effort to, um, you know, balance myself in a new craft or industry, maybe, I started building rods. Just It was a hobby, and I didn't really care at the time if it was going to be a newfound hobby or a business. And mm-hmm. I said, we'll just see how it goes, and... You know, fortunately, the latter of the two happened, and I'm now able to do this for a living, which is kind of the best of both worlds. Cool. Play with fly rods by day and fish them and explore the rivers, you know, by weekend and in free time. So it's been a pretty awesome combo. I love it. Um, So you make the small batch fly rods here in Maine. Is there, like, uh, I know you've so you had quite a bit of press. Is there any, like, favorite ones that stand out to you or anything or a specific? uh, You know, it's funny. We've... I don't put a ton of real estate on it. I mean, I'm on yeah. it by all sure. you know, stretch. I mean, I remember one time, you know, uh, sitting on Fox Business News at 6 o'clock in the morning watching the stock market report under my face. I said, man, this isn't right. You know, <laughs> I, I don't. I, I wasn't expecting something like this. But, you know, it's more the, the local um, Down East magazines and, mm. um, you know, Maine magazine – you know, the stuff you grow up on that's sitting on the tables of the doctor office and, uh, you know, just this, you've been exposed to it your whole life. Yeah. You never really envisioned that this passion or this business that that morphed out of loss and grieving and, mm-hmm. um, you know, would become this thing that people wanted to write about. It's, it, it's sure. been kind of a trip to watch. And, you know, but I appreciate telling the story, you know, less in a way to say, oh, look at, you know, how far we've come, but hopefully more in a way to inspire folks that sure. you're not trapped in anything. You know, if, if the corporate world and the hustle and bustle is not working for you, you know, here's a guy three months before having twins and sons and it, 
couldn't have been a worse time. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you got to just follow your gut and, and do what feels right. Mm-hmm. And um, sure, you sacrifice the money and the benefits and the vacations, but my quality of life has skyrocketed, and, and yeah. there's there's no there's no way to quantify that. Great, yeah. I want to get more into the into the origins of the story. So what I want, I and I know your father was a huge part of it, and and his, <clears throat> and I want to get into that. Um, I would love to just which well you'll fall right into that, and I'm I'm sure, but I just love to hear your story. You know, wherever you want to start <laughs> as a kid or whatever it is, just kind of Jeff's story and how you got to where you are. I guess you know as the the founder of the Main Fly Company. Um, I'd love to hear just kind of that. You know, yeah, go as much as you want. You know, I think the earlier version of me is not all that interesting or unusual. I'm a mm-hmm. French Canadian kid. You know, grew up with a hockey stick in Lewiston, Maine, and mm-hmm. you didn't have to want to or not want to. You just played hockey. It's what you did. And, yeah. and I grew up in a house with three women: my mom and my two sisters. Um, you know, and the younger brother, the you know, the kind of rowdy one of the crew, and and um. You know, so played some sports and did the mischief that Lewiston invokes and, um, you know, took a non-traditional path. I mean, I think I was maybe a day out of high school uh, going a little stir crazy at the house and skipped project graduation and dumped my hockey bag on the floor and filled it up with clothes and what I thought was important. Threw it in the back of an old uh, Toyota small body pickup truck that was, you know, at, at any point one of the panels could have <laughs> fell off. Right. And, and 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 took off and lived on the beach in Florida for years and got into sales and business and you know I just had a natural hustle at the time and, mm-hmm. and so one thing morphed to another and you're in sales and sales management and business development and leading small companies and then leading bigger companies and you know there was always a rush in that early but it was all about money right and sure. and let me let me combat my upbringing and and show everybody that this this mischief from from Lewiston can succeed and you know you, you followed a path of, of of you know paper success or what I could show on the outside mm-hmm. and it wasn't until much later and, and I'm sure we'll touch on it um, that I had some major awakening and realized there's just no value in that mm. um, and you know but but all in all I mean, you know, decent upbringing. My mom and I were, were tight, tight. I had an uncle who was a tremendous craftsman and sailor and, and my aunt who was a missionary and would come home from the jungles and these random places around the world. And she was my World Cup buddy, you know, for soccer. And, and she was a huge inspiration to me in a million ways. And How so? Um, oh, geez. I mean, she's an angel. She's, um, you know, you look at these missionaries and, and – and or people don't these days, and, and I'm not making any stance on any religion whatsoever. Well, I'm a big man of faith, is why I asked. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, I, I grew up with a with a house full of St. Joe's nuns across the street, and whenever my mom would go on vacation and leave me to the house, they'd come over and they'd all sit on the front porch and pray for me. And uh, Jeff, be careful! Well, uh-huh. she's gone, and we're, we're watching. And, <laughs> and so I grew up, you know, I grew up in that in that kind of community because my aunt was a nun of St. Joseph's, mm-hmm. but. You know, but she'd come home and, um, you know, she really valued, you know, if you were really doing well and thriving, it was a quick hello. If you were struggling and needed help, she could read it and, and she'd give you, you know, the time and the energy and the conversations and, and things like nobody really could. It Man, was, I need to be better at that. It's cool. I mean, an angel. Yeah. 
And, you know, I remember one year as a young kid and, you know, I was having this kind of odd summer and she talked me into somehow entering my name in this checker tournament as a kid. It was the funniest thing. (laughs) And we're in the small elementary and she sat with me through this whole thing. And it was just one of these things we did one-on-one. And I'll tell you, I dominated in that thing. And it was just this really special experience from this lady who is a, a life teacher and an educator and the calm and all the things she provided. And, and I have a million small anecdotes like that. Mm-hmm. But she spent a lot of time in the jungles in Brazil and would bring me home. You know, this lady who made no money. Right. And I had the same four outfits she rotated, slept on cots. Mm-hmm. And she'd always pony up this, this Brazilian soccer jersey when she'd come home. And it was this moment. I've kept most of them to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. But anyway, a very inspirational person on, you know, living living well, and living for others and, Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a really good balance of adults growing up. And your your uncle, I only you said it was a craftsman that just perked my interest. So yeah, I had heard another podcast where you're we'll talk more about it. But um, you know, you're really into obviously you make fly rods and you learn how to do that. But I wonder if there's probably some influence. Maybe I mean, oh, there's no doubt. Yeah, right. I'm I'm not trying to convince you, but I'd love to hear about him. What what did he like to make? You know, so it turns out my grandfather and his father, I mean, a lot of my Canadian roots, they were all carpenters. And mm-hmm. you know, so when you get into the religious part of it, Joseph, St. Joseph. And, mm-hmm. uh, my uncle was an interesting cat. No matter where you found him, within a town or two of where we lived, he was living in, you know, this 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 old chicken coop that was being ripped down. And, and you know, give it to him eight months later, and it's these massive old mill as you see everywhere today, but it wasn't present back in that day. Right. He's got these condos in it and it's just amazing architecture. And cool. Meanwhile, you'll see him at a table making this, you know, 10 foot by 10 foot, you know, stained glass mural that he's going to hang. And then he's over doing refrigeration and building this hot tub in the base. He always had his hands in something. Man, those guys are cool. He was a sailor, built sailboats. He, he just always had something that was jaw-droppingly incredible to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I think that's where some of those roots come from for me, for sure. Yeah. So out of the, you said you got into sales and some professional and leading small companies. So what are your, some of your, during that time, you know, corporate and, you know, it's all chasing money. What are your like favorite moments or at least from it? Like what stands out? Was there, what parts did you like? Uh, or what was your favorite place that you worked with, um, you know, there must've been some good things and learned a few things in there. I think so. You know, and that whole part of my life was all for my dad. You know, my dad was this played safe, the corporate man. I remember young you know, saying, I'm going to be an artist. You can't be an artist, Jeff. You're not going to make any money. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that safe path and, and that was the sales and business side. Mm-hmm. So through it and in the thick of it, you know, I didn't realize how, polar opposite I was from the life I was living. But at the same time, you know, I, I had a rush going into some of these big places and, and, you know, in short time, you know, I was selling and I was very competitive and, you know, so with that becomes a lot of travels and new opportunities and, you know, your first business trips and your awards as, you know, good salespeople are, you know, they're spoiled rotten. I mean, you're making people money, so they make sure you're making money. And, mm-hmm. and as a young guy from a small French Canadian town in Lewis, Maine, you know, in Maine, and, and I'm, you know, being flown all over the country and treated in first class. I mean, there were some pretty cool moments and some great opportunities through all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, 
you know, I reflect on it now and, and I don't regret a ton of it, but, um, you know, I'm sure glad I landed where I have. Uh, what do you think your biggest skills out of all that, that you have now, um, you know, to start a business as an entrepreneur? I think that, you know, for a lot of people who, who craft or build or, or do things from the heart or passion or they're inspired by something, you know, what you learn and what you see in the companies you've seen crash and starting, people were chasing money. Mm -hmm. It's just, let me just make as much as I can. And I'm not, I mean, look, the world is abundant. I mean, people are making money everywhere. Right. The fulfillment's not necessarily there. Mm -hmm. And I've got direct family members that support that. Um, you know, I think what I learned in, in a lot of that is the people that really lived the passions. And as I dipped in and out of the, the hospitality world and restaurants and leading and running restaurants and seeing the chef all in passionate, the place reflected him, it felt them, you tasted him in the food. It was just all about the food and passion. Mm -hmm. Similar to what the breweries later morphed into, right. and, and you know um, you know these furniture makers and things you see, and you know so what you what you learn is is how to make money, and then how to really fulfill a passion, and and what's more important, right? Um, and then you later begin to quantify what's more important to me, and which do I choose? You mm -hmm. hope for both, right? But as any startup and any small business owner knows, you don't get both. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, for sure. I was uh, riffing on kind of single podcast before this, and yeah, the start is like <clears throat> just trying to make money. <laughs> That's what it was for me. And actually, as I've been interviewing people, it's like you know, you have this romantic. Um, I mean, they're all they're all good stories, but initially, it's like, well, I got to make money somehow, you know. And then it's like getting to the passion. I mean, the passion's there too, but. Um, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that goes into, you know, main fly. So how did main fly become, become to be, you know, I was, um, you know, what are we now? Seven years, maybe six years or so. Um, you know, starting to feel my age. I was a soccer guy and played non you know, all through adulting and, you know, the body got a little more creaky and, the running started hurting a little bit. And, and you know, so I, I was going through a transformational phase or at least a what's next for me as far as like where I belonged in the world of sporting and outdoor recreation and a lot of this. Around that same time, um, I was living, I was working in an organization that, you know, I envisioned walking in and, you know, butterflies and rainbows were going to be everywhere. And it was just this beautiful environment. I was... Right. And it was one of the nastiest, most cutthroat corporate environments I've ever worked in. Ugh. And it was essentially the start of the nail in the coffin. Um, I was nearing, you know, I was in a, a, a challenging marriage at the time. I was anticipating, you know, the, the young boys, twins, which we had recently learned. Uh, my mom sort of had just sort of um, begun early signs of dementia. Mm-hmm. And so, needless to say, you know, I find myself early 40s, like, nothing's really stable right now. Mm -hmm. Out of the blue, I get a call that my, my dad went in for something very routine in the hospital and passed away. Wow. This was two or three months before my kids were born. Mm -hmm. Sorry. So, as, you know, the only son, um, and the only one capable at the time, you know, I find myself 
immediately stopping what I'm doing and, and jumping on a plane and getting out to Chicago and sorting my affairs. What are we going to do with him? Where's he going? Right. Does he have a will? Does he have anything? Right. There, there was nothing but a hoard, a house full of stuff. Uh, is his partner, who's a wonderful lady, uh, lives out there, uh, very lost in mourning and mm. um. No, I was I was in pain. I was confused. I remember just talking to my dad and, and recently taking him back uh, to Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. He couldn't travel. He couldn't do much. He wasn't well, but he was nowhere near passing. Okay. And uh, anyway, I managed to break him out of his comfort zone, put him on a plane. So I'm bringing you back to your homestead. We're going to go see your mom's gravesite, your grandma, the house you grew up in. I want to learn these things before you get too old. And ironically, that was just a few months prior. Wow. Good thing you did it. So whatever happens <clears throat> and whatever you believe in and or don't to that point, mm-hmm. you know, I certainly had a moment. And in 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 being at his home, you know, it was something telling me, take the tools, mm-hmm. take this, take this. And all of a sudden I trip on the, all this fly gear in the basement and I'm like, whoa, what is all this stuff? And I start putting, I had never fly fished in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking seven, eight, nine years ago. Right. Seven years, eight years ago. And I find the waiters and all these things. And so I'm like, all right, I'm curious, but I don't have a lot of time for this. Let me throw it in. And I arrived back in Maine. I said, look, I'm, I'm too lost. I, I, I'm not going to work right now. I'm going to take some time off. Decided to build this mini barn shed thing in the backyard. And it was important to me that I used only his tools, nails, screws. This was dedicated to dad. Mm-hmm. And I was going to sit out there and I was going to heal. Sure. One of the coolest two weeks of my life. I mean, Bucks are walking in the yard. One day I look on my road and this van goes by and it says Davis on the side of it. I've never even heard of it. What, what is this business? Eagles are, I mean, things I've never seen before. Huh. And a few things became very, very apparent. I wasn't going back to a corporate life. I mm-hmm. was staying outside and that's where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea of working with my hands, which I've done part-time as my way to calm and feel good through my whole existence um, was feeling really natural and really good. And around that same time, ironically, um, I decided to put that first fly rod together. And my brother-in-law at the time, I fly fish, let's go. And I said, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. Well, I'll show you. And and we start going. One day I'm sitting on the river, I'm like, this rod's ugly. How do they, how are they made? And I Start popping a guide off. I said, that's what it is. That's it. These don't look that great. And so me and Toby bought some rod building kits and just started playing. It was just mm-hmm. going to be something in tribute to dad. Yeah. Well, I built a couple rods and I, five hours has passed. Like I have no blood. My, I'm as calm as can be. Yeah. I feel pretty amazing. I'm going to build another one and another one and another one. And these things started happening. And then I started making them available to friends. And with my business background, I said, oh, let's brand this thing. It's a hobby. Let's have some fun. This is all about family. This is all about this, this lost art, you know, market research. You know, one thing leads to another. The website launches. Mm-hmm. And we said, uh, it was just a hobby. It was something small. It was a dedication to fly fishing and dad. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, before you knew it, you know, people are calling. Can we hear your story? Why? You're, you've you heard this? People? Yeah, I heard you on this small podcast. And, and one thing just kind of led to the other. Um, and here we are, you know, five years later. I mean, we're no, we haven't made it. I tell the crew every day we haven't made right. it. You know, you, you, we're working harder today than we did five years ago to make sure this, this goes. Uh, yeah. 
but but the idea behind this to me was that you know I found this great way to say, look, these new children I'm bringing in the world, I don't want them to see me pass and and just remember all the things I wished I had done. Right. The places I wished I had gone. Mm-hmm. Dad was notorious. I wish I was in Maine and I wish I was salmon fishing and I wish I was and and that's all I heard for a decade or longer. And then to get out and kind of sort the affairs and have them, you know, not be where they needed to be. And we never really had that chance to connect and be outside. And frankly, dad and I missed each other a million times in growing up because he's in Chicago or he's in New York or he's in Boston or, and I said, look, you know, if you can't learn that lesson this way, when will you? Mm -hmm. And my kids are not going to go my kids are going to be first and I'm not going to have a zoom meeting that I can't get out of on my kid's first day of coming home on the bus after school to tell me how school was family. Mm -hmm. There just became nothing more important to me. Um, So one of the boys got another family name. The other one got another family name. Um, You know, and now I have three sons and, you know, for three years, Maine Fly Company was a basement company. Mm-hmm. So their first walk, their first everything, uh, it was the next floor down. And as soon as I heard something that was different, I was right there for them. And that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Um, even in running a company today, I, there's, there's two days a week that I, I, am, I am home. I want to be sure I'm there when they get off the bus. Uh, and I spend those times with them. And, mm. and you know, our, our philosophy at work is, is family fishing work. Family fishing work. That's what we live by. I love it. That's fantastic. So you, you, um, <clears throat> your dad passes. You have, you know, you take some time. You coming to the realization, uh, and you, hey, we'll put a brand on this thing. This is a tribute to dad, and this is just generally something that we're passionate about. So the brand kind of launches. That's a website. So what does that look like? Is that a website? And is it yeah. just you making rods? It's it. <laughs> March 2019, um, you know, six months after, you know, we're, we're branding, we're building some logos, and we're just having some fun with it. It's very small. It's just me. It's just me in you. the basement. Okay. <laughs> but through all this, you know, I'm becoming an angler. I'm becoming an independent angler. Mm-hmm. I couldn't catch anything for the life of me. I love when people come in the shops. So I can't catch anything. Good. Welcome. You were a professional rod maker before you were a good fisherman. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and I told people, look, you know, it took years before I could go hunt and catch fish on my own. Mm-hmm. That's not why I chose fly fishing. Right. I come from an anxious world that I would come home so jacked up after a day in corporate that I couldn't connect with anybody. Uh. As, a, as an introvert... I needed 12 hours of recouping before I could even make it through another day. Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm sitting in the middle of a river. All I can hear is the water running past my legs. I I can't hear my phone. Nothing better. I'm coming off the water five hours later, and whether it's church for you, whether it's whatever it is that makes you feel as clean and calm as possible is how I felt. Mm -hmm. And then building rods made me feel that way. And the whole thing it was a movement. It was, it was, it was something, it was a spiritual awakening that I can only hope people will experience. And so, yeah, this was all going on and it just felt really good. I was still, 
employed, you know, around the time I launched the site. Um, but the site was a product of my years of being in business development and, and, you know, a consultant. And, you know, I just wanted to put a brand around this thing because it's a hobby and it was enjoyable. And so I launched the website. Yeah. March, 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember the, the second the site went live and we had a Shopify platform. And so in Shopify, you get the little dollar ching every time you get a sale and (laughs) my phone starts ching, 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 ching. And I'm, and I'm on the phone with Shopify support literally at the moment it launches. And all I'm right. like, are those all sales? I said, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> is that what that noise is? She's like, that's absolutely what that noise is. And I had done some teasers and some things leading up to it. But out of the gate, we just got some really great support. Um, and, you know, as a guy who didn't want to fall victim to anything seasonal, I didn't really focus on a local presence. It was more about representing a state that I love Mm. in a newly found craft that I was obsessed with on a sport that I was obsessed with that all was geared around family and dad and kids and, 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 um, the branding and everything that came around, it was just so natural. Like it Mm -hmm. just, what does it look like? It's, 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 it's heritage, it's vintage, it's family, it's history. It's, it's 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 disconnecting. It's rustic. It's it's everything. Yeah, that you naturally want to be, which is so cool. I mean, I I'm passionate about finding, <clears throat> learning how people tick and um, finding helping them find their passions. Kind of so like that's a, an indicator. You talked about like I made a fly rod and five hours went by and I didn't even know it. Like boom, that's your sweet spot. You know, anytime they say like whenever like time just flew by, you're doing what you should be you know, kind of what you're made to do, let's say. That's right. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's so neat. Um, so yeah, you, you launched the company, the company is launched, got the brand, everything's ka <laughs> And, uh, so small batches, what was a small, small batch then? What's a small batch now? Um, you know, kind of take me through the progression of main fly a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, small batch to me, I mean, th- there was so many correlations to me in the very beginning. And, and I've always been a local brewery fan and, you know, watching the likes of the Allagashes and some really inspirational, you know, success stories coming out of Maine. Mm. And, you know, I always got a kick out of the tasting rooms and the idea of, you know, you come in and you'll go in for the same one a week later. And I'm sorry, there was just a little batch of them. They're gone. And it just made you want them. Yeah. And you're like, well, how can you do that? Well, they were just curious one day and they made this batch and it was delicious. So we batch i like it i don't want to be married and stuck to a a production of ten thousand of anything at any time if we get sick of making the rod we're going to stop making it Mm -hmm. if we hit a new trip and something new inspires us we're going to focus on that but it keeps the quantities of the rods at a reasonable rate i mean they've they've Mm -hmm. scaled over time but also to the idea that you're not going to look down the connecticut river if you're traveling or the kennebec in maine and see 15 of the same fly rods like you do today on mass production. Right. Anglers are unique and they should have a rod that reflects them in that way. And so the idea of small batch was, you know, again, everything anti-mass production and, and anti-large business and corporation where it's about 10,000, 100,000, the right margins. And mm-hmm. it's not what we do. It's right. not why we build and it's not what inspires us. Mm-hmm. Right. So what is a... Uh, uh like a, a batch today, gen, generally kind of run, what are they, is it 50 
rods or it can uh, range i yeah. mean you know recently the industry all went fast with fly rods they wanted stiffer faster but so we went opposite and we brought back the art of bamboo nice and uh, we only put out 12 of them i think um we did a little launch let's see what happens we teased them a little bit i'll be damned if they didn't sell out in a month mm -hmm. um but then we have stuff like the little rivers you know the 793 weights that we do that have been our national bestseller and they're always in production you know yeah. i mean we're we've we're pumping out some of those almost every week mm -hmm. and it's tough to quantify them in forms of a batch sure. because we're you know every builder's doing you know five of them a week or well, in and addition it's, to it's unique to you yeah totally yeah and so you know now we'll go astray and we'll take a a common batch rod and change the colors on it or a configuration or make a wood grip for it or do something different and yeah. launch them in a limited form for a short time. Mm -hmm. And uh, this fall we're, we're taking our Roach River rod and we're doing a cast and blast version and a Hunter Orange mm -hmm. to honor the old tradition in Maine of cast and blast weekend at the end of September. And, um, you know, so things like the dead, the Kennebec, the, the little rivers, you know, we're, you know, we're hundreds, if not pushing thousands of those. Um, those are all fly rods. Styles yeah, for, yeah, for the non-fly, yeah, yeah, totally. Those are all batches, waterways here in Maine, uh, but as a result, inspired fly rods, um, right? And so you know they're they're changing, and sometimes it's by market demand. Sometimes you know I've got one of my my lead builders who she's got three or four rods she just loves making, and she'll pump them out all day long, smiling, um, you know. And then the custom things become a very unique part of our business too. But okay. Um, you know, the idea for me is we have a finite number of SKUs, sort of like those old restaurants you used to go into that had five pages. Now you go in and, look, you've got five entrees, you've got five apps and mm -hmm. a couple of shareables. Those are your choices. And then you got your specials. And right? then you've got your specials. Yeah. That's what our menu looks like at any given time. Yeah. No, that's great. I love it. I would like to get to somewhat of a model like that. I was always just like, okay, I need a new product, uh, design, <laughs> and, you know, this is massive because I've got, we've got to make it, stock it, you know, guess how many we're going to sell. And we got to stock it for the year, you know, like, well, that's like impossible. Yeah. Um, and then I'm like buying this much rope, buying this much stuff. And then, you know, when you're trying to do something cool, new and funky, well, that's great. And a few people like it and it gets people's attention, but that doesn't mean they want to buy what they, what they're comfortable with. They like it. So, you know, the small batches are, or something really neat, I think. And uh, I love uniqueness, so I love the idea. Um, so talking about those fly rods, so before I called you, I think I told you this, but my dad's an avid fly fisherman. I love fly fishing. It's just with a small family and this business still growing it and just everything else going on. Um, it's only like so much time, right? So I got to pick the first kind of passion first for my time to use over the year kind of thing. But anyway, so I called my dad up and I was like, hey, does this my guy make good stuff or what? We're doing quality. I can't be, uh, you know, having somebody on here is not making quality. So he said, yeah, you, you're making great stuff. And he said his, his prices are really um, affordable. And so he's like, it's a breath of fresh air. So he really likes your stuff. I'm honored. Um, so uh, what, uh, you know, he's used to having Orvis and whatever else. And so I think he's got three or four years now. Um, but... Uh, so, you know, how are you able to do that? Make these really cool, unique rods and here in Maine and just make them so people can get them. And, and was that 
I assume that was intentional from the beginning. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like a lot of people, especially in the Northeast, I mean, anywhere, frankly, but certainly around the Northeast, I mean, there's a lot of gear junkies up here and I was always one of them. That's true. You know, I mean, my, my, you know, my wife said, geez, you know, how many more coats do you need and boots and shoes and look, what I sacrifice and everything else, I like to have some fresh gear. <laughs> but I'm never the guy who was buying the $2,000 right. skis. And like, you know, I'm a working guy. I want the coolest stuff I can find in a range that I can afford. Mm. If main fly company is, is a reflection of me, then that's what the price is and the product should look like. I mean, the, the best bang for your buck for a handcrafted rod, I'd put them up against anybody, and I say it all the time, nationally, mm -hmm. internationally. Mm -hmm. um, we don't boast of technology. We're not sitting around in a lab of scientists generating the newest, strongest form of carbon fiber. Uh, but what we are doing is we're following those trends. We know what those are. Right. We're designing those tapers. We're designing those guide configurations on the rods. We're coloring them in ways that are interesting and, and kind of bucking mass production. Um, but because we, I, I, I formed this sort of hybrid model, we're not all in. We don't have the big factory where we're dealing with raw carbon, right. spinning these things out into a millimeter tapers on the top to quarter of an inch in the bottom and long steel mandrels. We're sourcing those and we're building them and crafting them and designing a lot of the small and the accessory pieces right in the shop. Mm. Um, that helps us to keep the prices at a, at a reasonable uh, price. And also, frankly, you know, for a guy who had no fly IQ entering this multi-million dollar industry, I was in no place to walk in to this market and say, hey, just trust me because you need to trust me. Here's a thousand dollar rod. Right. So we had some great entry That's prices. <laughs> I mean, you'd like, look, we're going to make them really like nearly non-profitable for you. Try them, test them, kick, mm -hmm. kick the tires, see if you like us. Then we've slowly been able to grow and increase from there. But, you know, I'm always going to keep that range from that mid-low level fly rod price, um, you know, to that mid-high. Mm -hmm. Let's stay in that mid-market. Yeah. Uppers nice. and lowers are dominated. And I don't want any, I don't want, I don't want to be in either of those. Sure. Things. So tell me how you learn. I mean, because you, you started that. You started make, making them yourself. Yeah. And then, of course, training, I assume, mm -hmm. those who are there. So your expert fly rod maker. <laughs> it's probably a better term than that. But, uh, you know, so how did you learn how to do that? And I heard you also talk, you know, people kind of normally do it this way. Well, we do it this way. So that, I mean, that's unique to yeah. what you guys are doing, which is what's really neat. Yeah. I mean, look, let's go back 2018, right? Like what rods was I designing? Nothing. I was calling blank manufacturers all around the world and they all had minimum orders of a thousand. I only need five. And so at that yeah. point, you know, I'm kind of taking anything people are willing to give us. And so, you know, the quality of those components and blanks and, and the, the learning curve on carbon compositions and tapers is, is long. Mm, um, you know, I mean, every angler wants to, you know, claim they've got that, but that's, that's a lot of trial and error and a lot of wasted money. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, beyond all that, I mean, my first five or six rods, uh, is a book from Amazon. 
I don't, I don't remember the book, but it's still in the shop and I share it with people all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and then there was a, a bunch of YouTube videos. And so I'd post up my small surface pro, uh, on my small building table. That was probably half of the, the, the depth of this table and maybe a foot shorter. And that table was responsible for probably the first 40 or 50 rods that came out of main fly company. Trial and error. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, sort of like fly tires with their whip finish or, you know, a woodworker in his first routing, uh, you know. Right. It's messy. And every time it's a little better, you're pretty damn proud of yourself until, you know, you just get to the point that you look at it and I can't see any flaws. You know, the 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 single coat of high build that a lot of the mass produ- production will do, it makes sense, right? They're on production lines and people have 20 seconds to hit each guide with this thick, thick, dense epoxy so it gets one big coat so we can get them boxing out. We, I've chosen to do the exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. I think from a quality perspective, we want these really thin viscosities and multiple coats and it's more time spinning, but it's more hands on the rod. You know, there, there's some longer lasting things and, and frankly, some stronger visual effects that come out of the rods. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't long ago, I, I was wood turning and got into wood turning as a result of all this, which I also love to do. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Um, but I, I, I turned this wooden handle and I said, I'm going to put it on a fly rod. And somebody's like, you can't do that. Nobody wants a wooden handle on a fly rod. I said, well, you just made me want to do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so we found this great burl wood and made these grips and matched the spacers on the reel seat, which is the part that the, the reel goes into in the fly rod. And it's turned out to be one of our national bestsellers. It's a tribute to the Rangeley region of Western Maine, the McGalloway River, um, which we currently had a rod out. And then I retracted that rod, brought it back in this limited edition form with these wooden grips where the cork belongs and, and sort of all these fixins And, you know, it became this ultimate eye candy to, mm. to anglers or craftsmen anywhere, frankly. And that was inspiring to say, look, Jeff, follow your gut. These mm-hmm. weird ideas you come up with, they may not be that strange, right? And they're old traditions that existed. I mean, think about it. Right? You know, late 1800s, was there a lot of cork trees in Maine? I mean, no, it, it just... You were whittling it out of wood, putting right. on the end of a stick, getting some line of some kind, and you were fishing. Hoping for the best, yeah. You know, so we're bringing back some of those old, um, you know, pieces and parts to the to the heritage of fly fishing, but in a little bit of more of a modern way that we can accomplish right in our small shop in, in Yarmouth, Maine. Mm-hmm. So you learn how to <clears throat> to make them and uh, find found things that you like better than how other people are doing them and yeah. kind of got so good that you kind of started doing your own thing. I mean, I think that's the progression, right, with anything. Like, okay, now I know how to make a rod. And I was like, wow, I can start kind of – and the purposes of all of it and, the, like, the intentionality. And then you start going fishing. Well, I could kind of do this with it, and I could kind of do that with it. So that's cool that you went by that point, and now you're really making um, – you know, so I'm not that they weren't special before, but that, that you're at that point. I, that's inspiring to me. I haven't really made anything like that, so – um, we hope they just keep getting better and they yeah. seem to with each year and well, and the more you fish, I'm sure the more you fish, you know, you'll f- have that feel just like while you're out there, that's a lot of time. And for any of us, like best ideas are when you're at most peace, like they just all will come up right? for sure. I mean, for sure. And, and many trips we go on for inspiration come up short, but it's also why when I moved <laughs> us from my basement to this new location we've got in Yarmouth, we're right on the river. So we're our own worst critics. We take our creations right outside the shop and we fish them right there in the river all year long. And uh, 
we name all our prototypes. Sometimes they go through three, four, five prototypes before the final's done. Sometimes it's one and done. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of things that go into it that, you know, the general consumer buying a fly fishing rod shouldn't have to factor in. Sure. They should just know it's in place and it's going to fish and cast the way it's supposed to. Yeah. Um, so what does that process look like? Like, okay, you're out fishing and you just get an idea for a new... Um, a new fly rod, something, yeah. something new about it. So what, <laughs> what, what, what's next? Yeah, it looks all kinds of weird. I mean, it was, it was a couple of years ago. We're up, uh, in the fall, which is, you know, like living in a postcard here in new England. Mm-hmm. Um, we're up on the river called the Roach river up by Moosehead Lake here. And there was this one small stretch of river we were on and we were having just the greatest day. And I was like, man, if this fly rod was just about six inches longer, I would really hit this pocket that, these great big state fish landlocked salmon are sitting all stacked up. And, and at the same time, there's this great bridge when you enter this small town of Maine called Kakajo, where the, it says population, not many. That's what, that's what's on the side. <laughs> yeah. There's this little bridge there with a dam and it says fly fishing only. And there was some rust kind of coming off it. So I grabbed a piece of the rust and a handful of the leaves from the foliage and stuffed them in my waders, sort of forgot about them until I got back to the shop and laid them all out. And I said, you know what? This, this trip means so much to me every year, and the quality of fishing is so significant, I'm making a rod. And I said, we talked about this rod being a little longer, so it's a 9-foot, 6-inch rod, which is rare. Most of them are 9 feet or 10 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, the color of the blank, the rod itself, was the rust color from the bridge, and then all the threads that we used to wrap on the guides throughout were all leaves from the fall foliage. Mm-hmm. And so this rod is a reflection of fall fishing, mm-hmm. uh, chasing salmon, and because of its really superior quality, it's the only rod we ever made where the hardware down in the reel seat is all nickel silver instead of aluminum. Mm-hmm. And so to a non-fly fisherman, trivial data. Right. Um, but, but you know, w- when you can theme these small fixins that really can make a rod from these incredibly beautiful spots that are within hours of us... Um, the inspirations are just endless and natural and they just come or they don't. Mm-hmm. The Roach River is a great example. It just was such a natural, easy design and it's probably one of my favorite rods we've ever made. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. I, I mean, I can relate to it so much because I love fishing and being outdoors, but as we create products, <clears throat> like I, my favorite thing is just walking around nature and like yellow lichen on a rock. Like that's really cool. Now it's really hard pretty much impossible we can never recreate creation that was that's the ultimate for us but especially um with the materials we use it's really hard to totally replicate those things but we do the best we can and i would love to get into telling more of the story behind it we might get like jay peterman on seinfeld that's right, right. Jay Peterman. <laughs> yeah which is amazing but uh no it, it's so true like it it means a lot i mean it would especially mean you know one of our taglines is uh bring home a piece of place Right. Um, so that's the, like the story. People love Maine. They want to bring that home with them or, or some memory or, um, but yeah, having that in your hand while you're right there doing that fishing, that would be really cool and specific. It's inspiring. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. I, I love it. Um, so, uh, yeah. What, what, what's uh, new and exciting at Maine fly company? What else can you tell me? Um, what's going on? We're, we're excited. I mean, you know, I, I don't necessarily tackle each year 
new year as, you know, how do we, you know, make more, it's more, how do we, how do we continue to balance out this really hedonic approach that I've taken to this from inception and what's missing. And, and, and I think one of the greatest components, I mean, there's certainly fly rod, uh, specifics that are missing from our arsenal that we're building for next year, which, Mm -hmm. you know, soon to come. Uh, but really focusing a lot on the environmental piece, uh, for 2024, we've just launched a recycled waiter program. So what we're doing is we've, we've kind of sought this, this really soft campaign and we're, we're seeking some seed money now to kind of help fund it a little bit greater. Uh, but basically to keep all these waiters that Mm -hmm. anglers wear, right. For those listening, don't know waiters, the neoprene waterproof pants outfit that keeps us in the rivers and dry. Uh, most of them are made out of Gore-Tex and various plastics. And it was about a year and a half or so ago, I was at the shop and I was just throwing out our normal for the day. And I see two or three pairs of waders sitting in the, in the trash and in the dumpster. Got me thinking, what are these things made out of? What's going to happen once they hit the landfills? Mm-hmm. These things don't decompose for 50, 100, sometimes longer years. Mm-hmm. Gore-Tex is bulletproof right that's the idea so we it's exactly the idea right. which you don't think about it until it's just in a pair of pants mm-hmm. um so we've started a recycle waiter program and we're gonna we're collect them we just got a huge box from the south of them and most of the soft goods that we're buying from other manufacturers now we're going to produce those soft goods here in maine with the likes of the recycled waiters from anglers from all over the country wow uh, we're working on a, a new plant-based epoxy that we're going to start using the rods which would be the only ones globally that are using it in their fly rods. And we just started sourcing a new form of cork that's coming out of these Ecuadorian forests where they're not harvesting all the corks in the trees. They're just literally taking the barks and allowing them to replenish themselves, mm-hmm. which are really supporting CO2, uh, reducing those emissions and the replenishments and the restoration. So there's a real green factor. And as a result of these corks growing back the way they are, the cork quality is superior to what we were using. And we're really excited to get those in all of our rods for the year ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the team is slowly growing and the trips are slowly expanding and, you know, the retail offerings. And we just started a little fly bar in the shop so we can support local fly tires and people that we want to support who'd love to be able to make their passion a career or at least a side business. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to sell their stuff in our shop. Um and then recently, I, I had the great pleasure of uh, promoting our to our first manager ever in the organization, aside from me. Yeah, cool. This young woman who is now our lead builder, we call them rodsmiths in our shop, mm-hmm. uh, just turned 25 today, actually, uh, to be second in command for Maine Fly Company and continue to inspire women, uh, kids, mm-hmm. youth. Uh, it's so often you hear of fly fishing in people of my generation and their time fly fishing with their dad and their grandfather, but it's seldom you're hearing the young woman talking about the trip she took with her mom or her aunt. Right. And we want to really inspire that and continue to, to grow that because I'll tell you, she's dangerous with a fly rod. She's I'm a sure. very good angler. And Attention she's a, to detail. She's so much fun to fish with and women in the sport are certainly growing, but you know, it's no mystery. It's been a male dominated sport except from inception, which the first registered main guide was a lady by the name of Cornelius Crosby, Fly Rod cool. Crosby. And so it started that way. Then it became this male-dominated show, which mm-hmm. we've been bucking ever since we've started this. And and so, you know, it's a lot of that hedonic, continue to share the culture of this non-elitist, 
group of people who just love the outdoors, love creating. And, and that's a lot of what we're looking towards for 2024. Mm-hmm. I do think I've seen, because <clears throat> I'm in the hunting world probably a little bit more, I'm part of a team that, you know, with making products and doing other things. But it, I feel like they are seeing that and seeing the, the younger generation. It's not, like, especially fly fishing, that like, you know, probably early 1900s or like, like more of a gentleman sport, right? Or I know hunting, they sure. would, the guys would come up, hire the guide, and the guides would shoot all the, all the animals for them and then they'd go home and say, hey, look what I did. Yeah. You know, totally. that, that was the most elitist, you know, part of it. But, um, but yeah, there's more, everybody seems to be getting younger guys or, seeing the um just the the fake chaos and and seeing all the what's not there the impurities of just like being on the computer all day and just playing video or just doing everything everybody tells them to do all the time and do like like no this feels good and this is pure that's right yeah that's right and you know everybody we've acquired in the organization you know, came from professional backgrounds or were heading to med school or were, and just realized their true introversion, what they really connected with. And, and, and fortunately for some of these young folks working for me, you know, they, their light bulb went off 20 years before mine did and, and good on them. I mean, mm. I think that's incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not a hobby. It's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a calming that very few things can, can bring. And if we can inspire more people, you know, which I think, and I've, I've, been, I've said it a million times, I think the pandemic had a million silver linings for folks. Mm-hmm. And when they sent everybody home to Zoom and companies realized people didn't need to be there, and then people started leaving those companies to continue to, to pursue these hobbies and things that they got involved in, there was a real connection and a reconnection and a resurgence of small business and taking a chance and... Mm. and um, you know, I just, I just love that we get a chance to inspire people in that way, um, and, and I know Young Izzy's going to do just that for us. Uh, you, uh, yeah, I agree that it's. I can't believe you can. How many makers do you have for making rods? Uh, we're currently at six that are making rods. That's amazing. Building rods. Okay. You know, and now and then everything else we've got is a lot of people that have just been with us from the very beginning or. You know, these great photographers and videographers and guides and mm-hmm. this local machine shop we turn to. and um, It's all family and you need them all. But, like, to find six people to make fly rods where you're doing it and have them, like you said, it's a lifestyle. Uh, I just feel like that's inspiring. I mean, that's really hard as we think about making products. So just Especially on the coast of Maine and the further south and west you get, the harder it is. And uh, so you must be doing something. I feel like that it's got to be passion, you know, and your passion coming out and championing the thing. And then also, you know, them finding like that's theirs too. Right. I mean, is that, is that the key or I, yeah, I I don't know what the key is. I mean, we've had turnover like everybody, you know, and people come in because fly fishing sexy and, and they get these great, uh, building stations that are in front of a window overlooking a river, watching people fish. Mm-hmm. We open the window. All we can hear is the river pouring through the shop all day. And, you know, but then a month later it, it's work, right? We are building stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the only secret sauce that we're slowly dialing in is that it's just not that traditional. Let's run an ad and let's have interviews. Yeah. 
people naturally on occasion gravitate into the shop and they're inspired or there's something that spoke to them in some unique way. And this young guy I just brought on, uh, his name is Garland. He's on his third week with us and he walked in off the street. We connected in a way that was very, very rare. I didn't necessarily have the right opportunity at the time, but I created one for him because when those people come around, right. you take them. Mm-hmm. Um, Find something. They give you goosebumps. Like these are just the people that inspire you. You bring them and you share that experience with them. Those are the people you want to have in your organization. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's cool. Yeah. I, <clears throat> you couldn't say it better. I gotta do that. <laughs> well, I have a great team. I'm very thankful for our team. Um, I, we have a, I wouldn't say a rigorous interviewing, but I like finding the right people. You know, you listen to all these. So I was like, start a business. I don't know what to do. So I like listen to everything I can to learn how to run a business. And, you know, the first thing people, the worst mistake a lot of people do is they just hire way too quickly and they don't find the right fit. So yeah. like we talk with people a lot and, and you know, they're good with our core values and, but yeah, finding somebody who's passionate. You know, Almost every time doing. I've hired just to hire, yeah. they're no longer with the organization. Right. And it it's different, right? I mean, people, businesses, we all need people in some way, whether we want that or not. Um, but when something comes from death and birth and resurgence and there's that level of inspiration uh, the only people that fit are the people that feel like us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this young Garland just came in yesterday and he said, you know, uh, can I come in on my day off? I, I, I wake up and I, I just want to be here all the time. Wow. Those are the people you want. Mm, that's exciting. Well, and good, good for him. Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I feel like that every day. Like who, right. Not many people say, that, especially the, you know, I hate to say it, but the, our, me, the younger generation is just, Seems to be, but also they seem to be catching on a little bit about you know finding the true passions and not just going the way of the corporate world. So, nice to see. Yeah. Um, so Jeff, what does uh, what does quality mean to you? You know, um, it's a saying. So if you ask anybody who works in the shop, they'll say, "Oh yeah, he always says quality over quantity." <laughs> um, you know, I'd rather see us get five rods really right than 20 done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what we are. I mean, as a small batch fly rod company, you know, who's part of the main made organization and part of main outdoor brands, which is such a humbling group to be part of. There's so many inspirational people there. Mm-hmm. The bar is very high for what comes out of new England. The bar is very high for what comes out of Maine. Maine was known all over the world as the most talented and, and, and greatest Maine guides that ever existed. The stuff that should be coming out of Maine that has not in this, in this industry should reflect that craftsmanship, that old French-Canadian craftsmanship of, you know, not quite as superior as the Amish who are still doing it today and are inspirational in themselves. Um, you know, um, something that's going to last, something that aesthetically is going to make you giddy. If it's mm-hmm. going to help you get you out on the water five more times a year because you love your fly rod, then we've done our job. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. Um, yeah. You know, quality is, is it's not necessarily having the finest and the, 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 the 
most expensive of components and parts. And right. it's, it's how we're putting those together, what that end product looks like. And for me, it was maybe uh, two or three months in operation. I was you know, browsing or everyone does on social, found this branding company who did these small two inch by two inch branding irons thing. And I said, that's pretty cool. I think I'm going to do one of those with our logo. Mm-hmm. So, as a matter of fact, I'll torch it and I'll burn it into our cork as our QC method. I don't know if anybody's going to like that. Anyway, it's stuck. Yeah. And so, it's a thing at our shop, very similar to what you'd see. And I've used this analogy in the shop, you know, whatever angry show Gordon's on now. Uh, but the food comes to the window and he's giving it that final look or he's kicking it back. And we have a very similar process just without the hostility. <laughs> Um, and you know, they, they're ceremonial lined up on this table for me to look at every morning. It's all the creations that are finished and they've gone through a head builder. They've gone through a a buddy system, uh, throughout the build. Mm -hmm. And then they end up me last. And it's that final look, you know, is everything aligned? Does this look the way we want this represented wherever in the world this thing lands? And if so, we light the torch and we burn, burn them like a branding iron on all the rods to show that they've been quality controlled before they've left the door. Cool. So we've made it part of our day to day. And it's something that means something to us. There's yeah. No doubt about it. That is really neat. Um, so I, uh, I know probably one of your, I guess it's a two part question. Usually there's one I ask people, you know, what is your favorite item? <clears throat> could be a household or could be anything uh, household or at work, just something you might use on a regular basis is the one that kind of pops into your head. Um, if you think about it for a second, I guess the next one would be what's your favorite fly rod. <laughs> I would love to hear that. But uh, if you have anything besides a fly rod, if it's a fly rod, that's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, I heard you, you do other woodworking or, whatever, you know, if it's a tool or maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's a mug. I've become uh, pretty simple these days. You know, if you go through the shop, there's some really cool stuff. I don't hang anything in the shop. I don't do anything unless it's made by somebody local or somebody we know. Mm-hmm. You know, but the simple drawings that are hanging under the photos of my boys that are in my office mm-hmm. when they come to the shop and they draw me a new picture. There's this one that one of my boys did for me uh, years ago and it's just two stick figures. One's taller than the other, but their hands are connected. Yeah. And dad, it's, it's me and you walking, holding hands. Mm-hmm. I would give you my truck before I'd give you that photo, yeah. that picture. Sure. Um, the things that, you know, inspire my children that they want to share with me. Those are, those are my items. Mm-hmm. I'd give up everything mm-hmm. to have just that. That's a good way to put it. Um, now my favorite fly rod. Yeah. You know, I am one of those gluttonous guys who has seven, eight, 10, 12, whatever I've got left of rods. Well, you're a fly rod maker. So well, I, think that's I mean, okay. it, it fits yeah. the crime. Um, probably one of my newer, you know, obsessions is this lost art of bamboo rods. And I've got the original prototype to the St. John that we have now. And I'm heading up to the Kennebago next week to go fish for a couple of days. And I was just telling the guys before I left, that's the rod I'm taking with me. Um, so anything from a really unique bamboo to that Roach River I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And then we, we have these series of rods we generate. We call them the landlocks. The landlocks are a separate page on our site. And it's just these one-off creations that we make when we're tired of baking batch stuff. Right. And so named after the landlocked salmon, the one-of-a-kind salmon, which is our state fish, 
anyway, it's a play on that. But, mm-hmm. So there's these one-off rods, and we name all of them, and they all have. And so last fall, um, someone I was listening to a Tom Petty, I think, at the end of it, and he's singing away "Free Fallen," and I said, "That's the name of this rod, Free Fallen." So it's this matte charcoal fall themed. It's the rod I get really excited about fishing with every September and October. I just strung it up. It's sitting outside my office as we speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd say free fall and probably the roach and that bamboo are my favorites right now. Cool. Yeah. But in the, and the free fall is a one-off. It's a one-off. That, that's a Jeff rod. It's a one-off, yeah. And Well, I guess the other one's a prototype. So. That's it. That's yeah, it. that's really neat. <laughs> um, is your favorite time of year? I think you said maybe September. Always. Yeah. Since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Since I didn't even know fly fishing existed. You know, we... we you know, we're an anxious culture. Like we get really stoked up here waiting for April 1st because that's when the season starts. But the reality is, is that, you know, two thirds of Maine is still under ice at that point. And fishing doesn't really start until a little later in May and into June. Then you've got that really great 45, 60 day window until the rivers start getting above 70 and people still fish them, which we shouldn't for, for cold water species where, you know, if you have a conservation mind and you're protected of the fish. Mm-hmm. You know, then you've got the hot summer that comes, or in our case, wet one this year. Um, but a lot of it's setting the stage for the spawning that occurs late fall and the idea of of, of those cold, cold 40-degree mornings leading up to these late 60-degree afternoons where you feel like you're standing in a box of crayons in this river with no cell reception, uh, fishing for some of the most beautiful fish in the world, I'm biased. Um, um, there's a few things that rival that. So my my f- absolute favorite time of year to fish is has always been September and October. Mm-hmm. I mean the the summer and saltwater fishing and these things are all incredible. But I'm I'm very connected with the fall. I, I always have been. Yeah. And so the idea of fly fishing in the fall is just it's just icing on the cake for me. So Jeff, thank you so much for coming. Really appreciate it. Where can everybody find you? Find your stuff. Uh, we are simply mainflyco.com, or you can also find us mainflycompany.com. Maine is in the state, M-A-I-N-E. Uh, you call us, you can find us on social, on mm-hmm. Instagram, on Facebook, or watch some of our adventures on our YouTube channel, which is also at Maine Fly Company. Cool. How's that YouTube channel going? I don't it? put a lot into it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we've done some great trips. There's some good, you know, videos where we've got two or three in the mix now, and so we'll be adding to it in the fall. But cool. There's some pretty awesome trips that are on there right now. Nice. Okay, thanks, Jeff. Thank you.